Good morning. Let's clarify a few things. First of all, the old head shaving thing. I will be in contact with Duck Commander about that one. And second of all, for all you feeling convicted for the speed limit issue, I'll meet you in the back. We'll all pray together, okay? It's good to have you all here. Thanks, Kathy, for that one as I sat there. Turnpike, 70. Gotcha. Okay. I thought that was just a suggestion. Okay. Um, we are in the series All In. Let me hear you say All In. Landon, where are you at? Where did he go? Thank you for wearing the shirt. Sarah was going to wear hers, and she was, remember, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be here this weekend. I'm gone. And I was thinking, should I text Landon and let him know he might be the only one because we still haven't got Ben's shirt for him yet? And no, he's representing. So way to go, Landon. Appreciate that. Maybe next week we'll all get our all-in shirts in and we'll try to get you all in the groove. Make sure you understand what our theme is because we want you to know what it means to be all in. Okay, now last week uh, we started with uh, the truth <clears throat> that God is all in. Now this is all coming off of Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We want to be all in in all that we do. And the first thing I want you to know is that God's all in for you. He's got this all-consuming love for you. He is all in. He is continually throughout, his, uh, throughout time showing his commitment to us. We said beginning with Adam and Eve, they sinned, he remained committed. And then with Abraham and God's promise to have many nations coming from him all the way to sending Jesus Christ, his son, from heaven to earth. That's the ultimate uh, commitment right there. That's about the story of commitment of God being all in from the beginning, from Genesis, as we read through the Bible. And if Christianity was primarily about our commitment to God, if that's what Christianity was about, we would miserably fail, wouldn't we? Because we're human. We promise to commit. I promise I'm going to do this. I'm not going to sin. I'm going to be, I'm going to be steadfast on this. But the problem is we mess up. We sin. We make mistakes. And then we, we feel guilty and we repent. And, and then we go back to that. I'm all in again. And then we mess up again. And that's just a nasty cycle. Thank God that he is all in in his commitment to us. That's what it's about. Christianity is not just about us committing our lives to God, but it's the fact that God has committed himself to us. That's where it begins. God is all in with his love for us. We said from Genesis 1, God is all in with his creation. When he created us, he created us with value. So when you look at yourself, you are God's creation, created in his image. And that's pretty incredible. When you understand your value, and then you think about this, well, if I'm pretty valuable, so is the person next to me, because God also created them. So that's how we treat each other with love. We also said that God is all in through his love. We've talked about John 3, 16. Many of us know that voice. He has this... That, that verse. It's an all-consuming love. And then we also said God is all in and giving us purpose. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, for we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece created to do good things. He created with, with purpose. So God is all in. With that truth in mind, here's the deal. You're not allowed to live an average life. If you're okay with being average, I'm going to tell you right now, you're living below what God created you to be. God created you to be more than that. God is all in with you. We talked about the story from Luke 15, the prodigal son, and then that truth. 
But here's the thing. I want you to understand this. God is all in, but are you aware that the world is all in as well? Look at the person next to you and say, the world is all in. If you're sitting by yourself, look at your imaginary friend or look at somebody near, nearby. Turn around, find somebody. Let them know the world is all in. Yeah. The world is all in as well. I don't know if you knew that. But your greatest opponent, again, for those of you from Wauseon, it's not Archibald. For those of you from Archibald, it's not Wauseon. For those of you from Delta, who is your rival anyway? Everybody else. I got Usually if you ask anybody in the NWAL who your rival is, usually Patrick Henry is the name that comes up. So, you know, there's all these rivals. But here's the deal. That's not your greatest opponent. Your greatest opponent is not your boss or one of those employees that really gets you mad. Your greatest opponent is Satan. Phil and Lisa, who's your enemy? No, not your spouse. Come on. <laughs> but we've done some marriage conferences in the back. We all travel together, and we were at this marriage conference, and they said, look at your spouse and say, you're not my enemy. And uh, so we always joke about that, about, you know, their spouse is not your enemy. And um, our greatest opponent is Satan, the thief, the accuser. He wants to take us out. Satan doesn't show up on your doorstep, dressed up, looking really good, presenting his card. Satan, L, evil, whatever, you know, trying to present himself as a very nice gentleman, he doesn't come in saying, hey, I just want to let you know I'm swinging by your house today because later I'm going to come in and steal something from you, but I just want to let you know I'm really respectable and so forth and so on. He doesn't work that way. He's all in to take you out. He is sneaky, he is scheming, and he cleverly disguises himself. And in this world, when you look around all the things, as Kathy mentioned, there's a lot of things that they seem so good, they seem so nice, but really, they're not. Let me ask you this. Have you ever made a bad trade? Why don't you think back to when you're, even when you're a kid. You ever, you ever trade something to somebody and you, you walk away from it and later say, that was a bad trade. I should have never traded that off. I wrote some this week and shared it and some of you maybe read it, but I was thinking back to when I was a kid, you know, and maybe you traded off ball cards. I made some bad trades. Like, why did I get rid of Dan Marino's rookie card? That was such a good card to hold on to. But I traded away, you know. Maybe uh, you traded candy. Maybe as an adult you've traded hours or a, a shift at work or a position and you sort of traded and say, I'll just trade with that person and it'll all be good. Maybe you traded seats in the classroom, thought you could sit somewhere else next to that special person and you found out that special person smells. I don't know. But you made a trade and it's like, that was a bad trade. I should have never made that trade. Maybe it was clothes or a spot in line. I don't know what it was. But usually, typically, I should say this, you don't know it's a bad trade until a little bit later. It's a little bit later, you're like, oh, I should have never done that. You know, they said that one of the worst trades in sports history took place in 1920. They were looking for cash to finance the musical. Has anybody ever heard of No, No, Nanette? One or two, maybe? Okay. There's a reason why you probably never heard of it, because it wasn't that good of a musical, I guess. But here's what happened. Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox owner, decided I'm going to trade off one of my players for $100,000 and a $300,000 loan. Okay? So I can finance the musical No, No, Nanette. So the Boston Red Sox manager traded off Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. Bad trade, by the way. Uh, in the case, maybe you've never heard of The Curse of the Bambino. That's sort of what it's all about, okay? Babe Ruth went on to hit 665 of his 714 home runs with the Yankees, including 50, uh, 
54 in his first season with the Yankees. Got to the World Series seven times, won four times. I think he helped him with that. Um, that was a bad trade for Boston. Good trade for New York, right? Bad trade, though, for Boston. Another bad trade in sports history, just because I like sharing this, is uh, Atlanta Falcons. Some of you may remember a gentleman by the name of Brett Favre. He was a rookie with the Atlanta Falcons. Coach Jerry Glanville said it would take a plane crash for Brett Favre to see snaps in a real game on my team. I don't think he liked Brett Favre. His first season as a rookie, he went 0 for 4, meaning he threw four passes and he did not complete one of them. Matter of fact, he got one sack for 11-yard loss. Not a good rookie season. And the coach for the Atlanta Falcons said, I'm, I'm getting rid of him. I'm going to trade him off to the Green Bay Packers. He's one of my worst quarterbacks ever. If you know who Brett Favre is now and you look at this uh, you know, all-star MVP, Hall of Famer, record-breaking quarterback, you'll say, that was a bad trade. Do me a favor. Open up your Bibles now. Let's do this together. Open up your Bibles to Psalm 106, verses 19 to 20. I want to share with you another bad trade. Psalm 106. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Lindsay's back there. He'll bring some to you. Just right there. Psalm 106 in the middle of your Bible. Old Testament. In Psalm 106, we're going to read about a bad trade. And actually, the story, the history behind this took, play, took place in Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's Exodus 32 where you could go back sometime, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. Read Exodus chapter 32. You're going to read the story that you've seen multiple times, usually around Easter, with Moses and the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and the people are waiting below, waiting for Moses. Where's he at? Where's he at? And they start whining and complaining. And Aaron, who's the brother of Moses, was left in charge with all these people. And they were begging, Aaron, we need some, somebody, something to worship, because Moses is gone. He brought us out here in the wilderness. We need to worship a god. Now, you need to understand the people, the children of Israel who were slaves in Egypt, they were in slavery longer than the United States has been around. So as Americans, we have a lot of traditions. We're like, well, this is the way we are. We're Americans, right? So we're used to all these things. So you can imagine these people who were in bondage for a longer period of time, they worshiped every god that could ever be imagined and dreamed of in the land of Egypt. Hundreds of gods. So now they're out on their own without their gods in Egypt, and what do they do? They fall back into the rut of this is the way it always is. So Aaron, get us a god. We need a god. So they gathered all the gold in the camp, melted it down to make this golden calf to worship. They needed a god to worship. They gathered it together then and started worshiping this, and let's look in Psalm 106, verses 19 and 20. Psalm 106, 19 and 20. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image of gold. They traded. Let me hear you say they traded. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating ox. Bad trade. Really bad trade. Now, if you read that close and you look at this, you think they traded God for a statue of a grass-eating ox. Like I said, we know the story, we read the sentence, and we laugh at those people, and we say, what were they thinking? I mean, really. If I was there, I would have never been near that fire, and I've never put gold in there. And when they got that golden 
uh, bull, that ox out, and they started worshiping. I would have been on the other side of camp, far away. I would, I would never be a part of that. That's probably our attitude right now, right? Because we, we read the rest of the story. We know it's going to happen. But is that really true of us? Are we any different? See, we don't maybe worship a golden ox, but we worship a lot of other things. We worship a lot of other things. We replace God with our own statues, whether it's promotion, whether it's work, whether it's sports, whether it's lust, whether it's pleasure, whether it's acceptance, whether it's championships. It might be medals. It might be a toned body. Whatever it is that we put a lot of time and effort into has become our golden statue. Are we really any different than those who traded God for that golden ox? I think we need to be honest and say, We've found other idols in our lives. Just turn on the TV and you see people clamoring over everything and anything. American Idol. Doesn't that sort of sum it up right there? I want to be worshipped by everybody in the United States. I want to be the next American Idol. See, if we don't worship God, we want to be one. We were designed to worship and worship God. Sometimes we make bad trades. So my challenge, my encouragement to you this morning is don't make a bad trade. Don't make a bad trade. The impact is life-changing. Ask yourself these questions. Where is God at in the priority of our scheduling? Look at your schedule. Where is God at in that? Where is God at when it comes to giving and spending? Ask yourself, when you start to write the next check, when you start to swipe that credit card, stop and say, where is God at in my priority in all of this? When it comes to spending time in worship other Christians, where is your priority? I'll just say this because you're here this morning. Good choice this morning. Thank you for being here. It's not that I get a raise. It's not that I get like bonus points for more people. That doesn't happen. As a pastor, I get excited to see God's people worshiping God. That's what I get out of it. I get to see obedience. I get to see passion for God. I get to see desire to know more about God. That's, that's what I get out of it. And God gets more. God gets all the glory. See, it's, it's time we honestly look at how our trade life is doing. And actually, I sent a, uh, an email to all of those that are part of the worship team this past week and just thanked them for being a part of worship, for leading. Whoever it is that's up here and it changes every week, you know, who's up here leading worship, I'm so thankful for them because here's the thing. They're leading us into worship with God. If we understood how dangerous of a church we could be as a worshiping church, we might actually take it up a couple notches. A worshiping church is a dangerous church because we're not fitting in with the rest of the world. We have elevated our worship to one God. So I thank the worship team for what they do. And if you're part of the worship team, you maybe you're up here only one Sunday out of the month or two Sundays out of the month, thank you. Thank you for leading our church. I know that's not my gift, is your gift, and God's blessed you with that. Thank you for sharing that. The psalmist said this, they forgot God. Look at verse 21. If, you, if you're one of those people that highlight and mark in your Bible, here's the first thing I'd say. I would have circled they traded their glorious God. I would say, ooh, ooh, that's something to circle. Be aware of that. Then look at verse 21. Look what happened. Underline this. They forgot God. 
They forgot God. We cannot forget God. That's why it's so important to come together on a weekly basis to know God, to worship God, to love God, to sing to God, to, to come here and say, I don't want to forget who you are, God. Because look at that next part. They forgot God, their Savior. Let me hear you say Savior. That's who our God is. He's a Savior. He's not the big man in the sky. He's not my heavenly coach. You know, I go to a lot of camps, and I'll hear guys come up and say, you want Jesus Christ to be the coach of your life? And I, and I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. But here's the deal. He's not my coach. He's not my, my, my driver of my life and my car. He's my Savior. Now, we use terms and maybe little slang things and phrases like that to describe who God is in our life. But really, when it comes down to it, He's our Savior. We've got to start there. If we don't understand that He is the one that saves us from eternal destruction, we're in trouble. He's our Savior. So maybe you've underlined, they forgot God. Put maybe a box or triangle around their Savior. Look at the last part. Who has done such great things in Egypt? Start a list. Start writing them down. All the things that God's done for you. Because typically what we do is we talk about what God's not doing for me right now. But what has he done for you? You breathing right now? Yes, amen, good. <laughs> we don't need to make any calls this morning to the, to the ambulance or anybody else. You're all breathing. God's blessed you. We've all got hair on our head, got clothes, got a car. You probably came in, a vehicle, probably ate something this morning. Man, we're blessed. We've got chairs we're sitting in. Isn't that good? Most of us have a Bible in our hands. Some of you probably have like six or seven Bibles at home. We are so blessed. They're so blessed. They forgot God, their Savior, who's done such great things in Egypt. Let me tell you something. Do not forget your Savior and all that he's done for you. Do not forget that. Remember the very command that God gave to his people, which includes you and I? Thou shalt not have any other gods but me. That's the first command he gave to everybody. Know the gods, just me. And God's a very jealous God. And that word sounds that bad. That sounds like a bad word, being jealous. But here's the thing. The reason he is jealous, which has a very similar root to zealous in the, in the scriptures, is that he has such an all-consuming love for us that for us to depart and not accept that love or to try to share that love with somebody else, God doesn't want that. He has such a, a thing with idolatry because it takes us away from his love. Don't make a bad trade. Don't make a bad trade. But see, Satan cleverly disguises himself. He taints God's love, and he presents us with false idols and false loves and temptation. He says, it's all good. It's all good. You can still love God and have all these other things. Dan's going to throw three scripture references up on the, on the screen for you. We're not going to look them up, but I'm going to tell you real quick what they say. In James 1, 13 to 15, it says this, And remember, when you're tempted, and you say, God has tempted me, God has never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes, listen, temptation comes from our own desires, which, when enticed, drag us away. And those desires give birth to sinful actions. And sinful action, when it's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You want to get rid of some of that, you know, that sin and you want to see some of that disappear in your life and it seems like I'm always messing Stop feeding it. Did you realize that if you stop feeding something, it stops growing? Did you ever realize that? 
That's why we're always feeding those babies. We're always feeding those kids. We want them to grow. And if you've got a high school teenager in your house, okay, like we do, there's a lot of feeding going on. There's a lot of growing going on. Take away the feed and it stops growing. Take away that temptation and, and those enticements and all of a sudden, less sin. Stop growing, right? John 8, 44 says this, For you're the children of your father, the devil. And this is a conversation Jesus was having with these religious leaders who were, I mean, they were way off track. And he's talking to them and he says, You love to do the evil things that he does. He's talking about Satan. He goes, He was a murderer from the beginning. Here's, here's the deal. Jesus comes around. Hey, I want to tell you about Satan. He's a murderer from the beginning. You do not want to side with him. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he's, it's consistent with his character because he is the father of lies. God gives us truth, and Satan loves to distort it because he hates truth. He hates truth. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want you to hear this. The world is all in. Satan is all in. He will take truth. He will distort it. He will entice you and drag you down and jump on you like a lion. That's why it's important for us to know the truth. That's why it's important for us to gather and worship, to remember God, to remember our Savior, to worship Him and Him alone, and not all these other things. Because once we start worshiping all these other things, oh, we're, we have just been sucked in with the rest of the world and we're all in with the world. And it's not a great place to be. Last week I shared a story with you, and, and I'm going to share another one with you. And some of you are like, oh, I remember that story. And I'm going to say, like I've said before, well, consider it the Easter story. Consider it the Christmas story. You get to hear it once a year, okay? But the story that I want to share with you, and I don't think there's anybody in this room that was on this trip with me, but if there is, um, you, if you get a little sweaty palm and you need to lay down and breathe easy, feel free, okay? Because it brings back some rough memories, okay? But it was a, a many years back when I was youth pastoring, and we went down to Seneca Rock, West Virginia. And uh, our goal was to go to do some more climbing. Just like I shared with you last week, obviously it, was, it wasn't Mount Rainier, so a much smaller rock to climb. Problem was, there was rain in the forecast, and you can't climb rocks when they're slippery. You will fall, you will get hurt, and it's just not a good situation. But we also had another goal we wanted to accomplish on this trip, and that was to go caving, or some people call it spelunking, okay? And here's the deal. So we were going to go caving in uh, Old Man's Cave, there in West Virginia. So as we got all of our gear around to climb, we found out we couldn't. Our guide said, we're going to go caving instead. It's underground. We don't have to worry about wet stuff. All right, sounds good. So we got all of our gear on. And again, there's about 15 of us. And we had to wear these overall, these like coveralls, okay? Because uh, you're going to get dirty. You had uh, volleyball knee pads on because you're going to be on your knees a lot, supposedly. Uh, you had a backpack that had water, had a candle, had matches. Uh, we even had our uh, Bible with us, uh, flashlight, just multiple things. We had hard helmets with lights on. So as we were preparing to go into this cave, in my mind, a cave is like mammoth caves. Anybody been to mammoth caves? Raise your hand, let me see. Good, you're all familiar with mammoth caves. Okay, huge, right? Like you can drive a semi through the opening, like, and there's a little la lady there, the park ranger. She's got a little sign that says Susie, and she's like, hi, welcome to Mammoth Caves, you know. She's all friendly. So I'm thinking, we're going to a cave like this. You know, we're going to walk in. There might even be a, a park ranger there or something. No, there wasn't. Uh, when we got to this cave, basically we're going to go in one side of the mountain. We're going to come out the other side of the mountain. It's going to be a four-hour trip, even though it's only a mile in distance, okay? So as we walk up to the entrance, 
This is the opening of the cave. This big. Now again, I've got a backpack on and thinking, I'm going in that hole. Okay. Now again, I'm one of the leaders. Our main leader, his name was Mike. Let me hear you say Mike. So Mike was our main leader, and Mike is like, and by the way, he's the one that took us up Rainier too. He's, he's, he's a jack of all trades, great guy. Mike says, okay, when you get in here, uh, first of all, you're going to take off your backpack and throw it in and then go in, okay? All right. So everybody's going in, and I'm in the back. I'm trying to, you know, I'm one of the leaders. So you, as a leader, you always remain calm under all situations, and you show strength and power and all that, right? Okay. So we get inside, and we get our backpacks back on, and we turn on our little lights, and we start taking a few steps. We go, oh, wait, wait a second. Before we get going any further, I want you to discover a few things about what it means to be in a cave. Because if you've watched any movies with caves, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, or some of those really scary ones, it seems that it's, caves are lit up like this. You know, it's like, wow, you know, it's pretty open. We turned off our headlamps, and we put our hands in front of our face. And the only reason that I knew my hand was in front of my face is that I could feel my breath hitting the palm of my hand. Otherwise, I would have never known there was anything right here. It's that dark in a cave. And then he said, now I want you to listen very quietly and so we listen very quietly. And we're trying to think, what are we going to hear in this cave that he wants us to hear? And then we hear this. <laughs> I'm, here, I'm seeing some shivers already going on here. We turn back on our headlamps and look up at the ceiling of the cave. And up above are a bunch of bats. Yeah. yeah. Now, I have to understand, as a kid... When I think of bats, all of a sudden, I became this little five-year-old, okay? I'm sitting there going, I want to suck your blood, you know? I was even going back to Sesame Street, one peanut butter sandwich, ah, 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 okay? You know, I was sort of doing that, okay? And I was, I was all over the place, and I was thinking, cover your neck, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, it's all right, it's all right, move forward, you know? So we started to move forward. As we moved forward to the cave, we came to a couple other places. Now understand, this is a modern cave. This isn't mammoth cave. This isn't a trail. There aren't like little timber woods. There aren't little steps all the way down. We're going through rocks, stepping over things. We got to one spot where he said, okay, just a second. At this next spot, what you need to do, you're going to have to go along the edge. I want you to hold on to the person. They're going to, I'm going to go across. I'll grab your hand, and we're going to sort of help each other cross. He goes, like, why? Well, I, don't, I don't want you to fall down this hole. Okay, what's wrong with the hole? He took a rock. He like this. That's a long way down, you know. It took a while before we heard that stone hit the bottom, so we're like going around and reaching and, and making sure nobody goes down. We got through that. And then we went over some other places. And if you've heard of, if, you know, if you've ever gone on any kind of nature hikes or anything, they nickname everything. You know, like uh, Fat Man Squeeze. But we all know that Fat Man Squeeze just means the rocks, instead of being this wide, wall to wall, they're about this wide. But they want to give it a nickname to scare you, right? So our, our guide, his name is what? Mike says, if anybody here is claustrophobic, it's like we're in a cave. You're now asking us this question? It's been a half hour. If any of you are claustrophobic, get next to me. Who can define claustrophobic for me? Who would do that for me? Does anybody know what it is? You're, yeah, you're, you're afraid of very small places, yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, we are in a small place, okay. Um, and he says, anybody claustrophobic, I want you to come next to me. So right away, three girls, okay. And uh, do we have any cheerleaders in here this morning? Okay, good, okay. Um, three cheerleaders, 
quickly gathered up next to Mike and said, we're claustrophobic, we're you know, really scared. And I think, well, you can't spell either, but that's okay. Uh, that's a cheerleader joke. Sorry, sorry. S-O-R-R-Y, sorry, okay. Um, so anyway, these cheerleaders are next to Mike now. I love them. They were blessed. They blessed their heart. Okay, okay. That's a Christian way of saying something else. Okay, so anyway, so these cheerleaders are with Mike, and we start going into what he called infinity crawl. Somebody define infinity for me. What is it? Forever. It goes on and on. And crawling, we can all define that, what? Hands and knees, right? So again, it's like, okay, infinity crawl, fat man squeeze. I get it. It's just a name given to scare us and whatever. So we get to infinity crawl, and we start to go, and I'm in the back again. And again, of course, do you ever watch scary movies? Who's the first one to die? The one in the back, because there's like some, some kind of subterranean freak creature that just, and he's gone. So I'm in the back the whole time thinking, bats, creatures. So and we're going, and, and everybody's in front, and I notice now all of a sudden we're starting to get down a little bit more, and we're starting to bend some, so I'm thinking, here we go, infinity crawl, we're getting low, we're getting low, right? So I'm thinking this is going to be fine. It's no big deal. And about another five, uh, probably less than five minutes, we're down. We're, we're crouching down now, so we're getting down a little bit more. And then after that, then we were on our hands and knees. Infinity crawl. We're there, right? Now here's the problem. <clears throat> I heard somebody in front of me make a noise. And again, I, I guess I don't have good hearing because remember on Mount Rainier, we heard a and it wasn't, hey, we're there. It's, hey, we've got another thousand feet to climb forever. I heard this, hey, and I'm going, we must be out of it. Yes. Because I've been doing this for quite a while, and I'm so thankful for my volleyball knee pads. But what I found out was that now I was going to do this and G.I. Joe crawl because we now came to a spot where in that cave, we had an 11-inch clearance. Just so you know what 11 inches look like, okay? And you're sitting there thinking, how did Pastor Rex get through there? I don't know. Um, because I had my lovely helmet on with my light, and I discovered that when I'm crawling on my belly, and I'm looking to one side, if I want to look to the other side and turn, this hits the top of the ceiling of the cave. So I'm bumping my head looking this way, and I'm noticing something. There's all kinds of paths on the side. So in my mind, I'm thinking, are we on the right path now? What if the earth decides to shift a little bit? And, okay? It's raining outside. What if it floods? little panic induced. Now I'm sitting there going, I'm claustrophobic. I understand. I wasn't claustrophobic until infinity crawl. I am now claustrophobic. I discovered that, okay? So as I'm going through there, I started kicking dirt out of the way. My heart's beating faster. I made all kinds of promises to God. That's why I'm pastoring today, okay? Um, all kinds of promises. And then the guy in front of me, I won't mention Brian Hall's name, but the guy in front of me, the guy in front of me had just eaten at McDonald's a couple hours earlier. There's not a lot of fresh air in caves. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> the coveralls are doing like a reverse wedgie. They're pulling down. I'm in the most uncomfortable position ever, and I've discovered this. Infinity crawl lasted 45 minutes. I've always wanted to videotape that, but I, I, for some reason I haven't built up enough courage to go back and do it again. So as I'm going through all of this, 
we eventually made it. We got out, had a big open, actually a big open spot, almost as big as this room. And it was pretty incredible. And at that point in time, we pulled out our candles and matches, and we let them turn off the lights. And our guide, his name is, said, well, let's open up our Bibles. And he opened up the scripture in Psalm 119 and talked about God's word being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now God's truth shows us every step of the way. It was a really cool moment. We spent a little time there in prayer and confession. <laughs> sort of gathered ourselves together and said, okay. And then we packed everything up, and then he did this. He's like, okay, this next spot we get to. His, his eyes got big. Okay, now infinity crawl. He's like, hey, anybody claustrophobic? You're next to me. Okay, now his eyes, his eyes are getting big. And he's like, okay, now this next spot, you need to stay next to me, right behind me. You need to see the person in front of you and the person behind you. Do not let there get a lot of space in between you because you need to keep going quick. We're going to be going through an underground river and you're going to be moving fast and the water's moving fast and there's tight spots and you're just going to have to keep moving. Your foot might get lodged because remember, there's, it's rocks. It's not a path. There's rocks and you can get your foot caught in there. And I'm going, we're going to die. <laughs> plain and simple. That's why we read scripture. We got ourselves right with God. I knew it was coming. So he gets us through this, and it wasn't too bad, okay? But now we get to the spot where there's a fork in the road, or a fork in the cave, or two trails. We, we sort of actually, we, we stopped with about a half hour to go, and he said, sort of gave us a word of encouragement, you guys have been doing great, okay? Now at this point in time, does anybody want to take point? See, Mike was famous for this. Mike trains up young leaders. He takes high school students and trains them to be leaders, and he said, who's taking point? I'm done leading, in other words. Who's going to lead us the rest of the way out? Those three cheerleaders said, we will. <laughs> and I said, we're dead. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say to Mike. I was like, Mike, I love you. You're a friend of mine. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Um, I want to get out of here. I'd already made all these promises to God. I wanted to see my wife again. And, and, but his idea was the girls are going to lead us out. Plain and simple. They said they would do it. I'll walk with them. They'll be fine. Let me share something. I'm going to pause in the story real quick. I want you to think through some of the things we saw. Okay. From, from the bats and the darkness and, and the, the rocks, the ledges, you know, the person in the back always dies first. Okay. There's a lot of fear going on in that moment. There not only was there fear, but there was doubt of the unknown. There was a lot of tight spots that we got in. And there was multiple choices and places we could go. And there was even a lack of trust in leadership. Okay? Let me ask you this. Does that sound any too familiar to any of your lives? Maybe not the caving part, but all those other things I mentioned. Fear, doubt, unknown, tight spots, risky things, not trusting leadership. Those are all things that come bombarding in in our lives all the time. They're great tools of Satan. Because, you see, he's all in to take us out. So he'll throw fear your way. He'll throw risky moments your way and some incredible choices. Why don't you make this choice, you know? He'll say, don't trust leadership. He'll say, why don't you consider this path instead of that path? Because Satan is all in, he throws all these things our way, and we get there and we go, what do I do? Who do I listen to? That's why, you know, it's so important, parents, to listen to things, to check things out. Let me give you an example. You know, and we mentioned this a while back when we talked about suicide. It's the third leading cause among teenagers. We said that there's that one school in D.C., Washington, D.C., that says 75% of the school population had suicidal thoughts, and there had actually been 80 attempts that year. 
That's a great way for Satan to take out a generation. Because those young people don't understand their value and how God created them. They've believed other lies about themselves. Maybe you've heard of the um, singer Katy Perry. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because you won't want to raise your hand after this, okay? Popular singer, you've probably heard her songs, but let me just mention one of her, uh, about one of her uh, CDs and songs, Dark Horse, okay? On that CD, um, she says this, I want to be your Aphrodite, along with other suggestive lyrics. There's probably a ton of girls that sing along with it and sing that song and have no clue what they just said. I was reading in the book of Acts about Paul, a lot of the cities he visited, including Corinth, and, uh, and in the temples, in these temples where they worship false gods, um, those temples had hundreds, possibly they say thousands of prostitutes, male and female. And people would come in and give themselves to these prostitutes for sexual pleasure. That's, that was their form of worship. That was what Paul was going up against when he's trying to share with them about the one true God, the Savior. He had to go up against all those false gods. Well, that false god of love and sex was called Aphrodite's. So when Katy Perry's out there singing, I want to be your Aphrodite, you know what she's singing? Y'all putting two and two together here now? So you tell me, is she a good person to listen to and sing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. She says she wants to be the goddess of love and pleasure and sex. And she wants that. And then she gets all these little girls singing that. And all these little girls are singing something they have no clue what they're saying. They devalue their body to be loved telling you, Satan's all in. All in. And when he's all in, he'll do anything to separate us from God. And that holds us back from our purposes that God has created us to be. Here's the good news. I want to give you some good news. Let's, let's wrap this up with good news. Romans 5, 8 says this, that while we were still sinning, while we're still messed up, while we're still being attacked and being sold out to all in the world, okay, while that's still going on, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. That's the good news. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we'll be saved. That's the good news. The world's all in. But dude, let's go back to our first point last week. God's all in too. God's all in. His love is all-consuming for each and every one of you. And he wants you to know that there is a way out of all this mess. Let me take you back to the conclusion of the cave. We, uh, we came to a fork in the cave, or like I said, two caves to walk out of. We're there. We've still got about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes maybe to get out of this cave. The girls are up in the front, and they stop, and they look, left or right. And I'm in the back, and I'm sort of leaning over looking and saying, what are they going to do? This is, this is what they did. I'm, I'm serious. I'm in the back. I'm going, she did not. Just go, really? Why don't you just take a coin and flip it? Five minutes later, we were out of the cave. I seriously, I had to go up to him and say, girls, I am so sorry. I doubted you. I did. I had to. I had to confess him. I said, I, I didn't trust you. I really didn't. Especially when you put your finger up and you did that little air thing, okay? And so I asked him, I said, girls, how did you know? How did you know to get out of there? And they said this, we've been walking with, what's his name? Mike. We've been walking with Mike for a couple hours now. And when we walked with Mike, Mike told us about what to look for in a cave. 
what to see as far as whether a place has been traveled well or not. Look where rocks have been smoothed off because people come through their backpacks and rubbed up against it. To feel the wind coming in or out of a cave to know where the entrance or exit may be. And they went on and shared a few more things. I was like, wow. Walking with Mike, you learned how to walk in the right direction. See, when you walk with Jesus Christ, when you listen to the right voice, he helps you go in the right direction. That's our challenge for us. In a world that's all in to take us, you better have the right guide, the right Savior in your life to lead you through life. It was Mike in that cave, but it's God in my life, and it's God in your life. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As you're coming forward, I want to share one quick story of what it means to be all in, okay? Here's the deal. Uh, Michael Jordan wrote this book called Driven Within, and there's a story in this book where he met with Fred Whitfield, who was a CEO and president of another NBA team. So he's, he's at Fred's house, and uh, they're going to go out to eat. And so Michael Jordan's like, I didn't bring a jacket. It's cooled off. Fred, do you have a jacket I could borrow? Fred's like, yeah, yeah. Um, just go back in my closet, pick one out to wear. So Michael Jordan, as he shares in his book, goes back in the closet of Fred, and he comes out with a big pile of clothes, shirts, jackets, shoes, threw them on the ground, went back to the bedroom, grabbed some more, came back out, laid them down, went into the kitchen, pulled out a butcher knife, came back, and sliced up all of Fred's jackets, coats and shirts. See, because all these coats and shirts were made by Puma. Puma is a rival of Nike, which is Michael Jordan's thing, okay? And he looked at Fred and said, Fred, we're friends. You call my rep tomorrow. He'll replace all of that with Nike stuff. You don't wear that. You wear what I wear because we're friends. We share the same thing. He says, there's no riding the fence, Fred. There's no right in the fence. You gotta be all in on this. See, here's the thing. It sounds pretty preposterous, right? And pretty crazy that somebody would be that psyched up to just take the old stuff and just cut it up and throw it in the trash because there was something better. But see, that's what God wants. Whatever false idols you have right now, whatever it is in sort of the wrong direction right now, I wanna encourage you and challenge you. Listen. God doesn't want room in your closet. He wants your closet. God doesn't want room in your life for him. He wants your life. That's what God wants. He wants to know, are you all in? Because God knows the world's all in to get you. So there might be some things right now you just need to say, I need to cut that up. I need to trash it. I need to make room and get it out. So I need to get have God all in in my life. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us, for the moment we've had to worship with you. Lord, when we go back to Psalm and just think how such a bad trade was made, an incredible God like you, and yet, as human beings, we trade that away for a gold statue. We laugh at that, but yet in our own lives, I think we've done the same thing with our, our dreams and, and, and what we're pursuing in life, whether it's a, a job or a school or sports or whether it's money, whether it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or maybe it's music we listen to or, or shows that we watch or things that we do, we, we've sort of blended right in with the world. And you come along and say, no, that's not working. 
we need to confess that. We need to cut it up, get rid of it, clean out the closet, clean out our life. Because you want to be the Lord of our life. So Lord, this morning as we close in prayer and song, help us, Lord. Examine our hearts. Help us confess what we need to confess to you. Because Lord, we do want to confess with our mouth. We do want to believe in our heart, Lord, that you are the Savior of our life. We can't do this on our own. We need forgiveness. We need direction. We need you to guide us through those tight spots, those scary spots in our life, those risky moments, all the choices. We need you in our life, all of you, all in, in us. So Lord, as we sing to you, we ask that you work in our hearts. In the name we pray.